Thank you, Devin. This morning, uh, we continue our series in the book of Genesis, and this morning we're talking about steps to sin. After I entitled the message, I was thinking, it sounds like I'm trying to help people learn how to sin, steps to sin. I could have said steps away from sin, but actually, in case you don't get it, I'm going to be talking about steps to sin, the opposite of that is steps away from sin, all right? In case, uh, in case that doesn't come out, uh, that's really the point this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, that very first sin and how it came into the world, and really, it, it speaks also of how we fall into sin as well. What is the kind of the pathway by way of temptation? Uh, again, as uh, I was actually right before the service, I was praying with some people, and they, they noticed the subject again and say, Lord, help us to be convicted of sin this morning. I'm thinking, that's an interesting prayer. Um, is when you come to church, there are a couple needs. Uh, we need to be convicted about that which needs to be changed, and we need to be comforted by that which we seem to be overburdened by. And as one uh, preacher said, that there is a dual responsibility for every preacher. We're to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So wherever you're on that path this morning, that's what we're trying to do. But in, in any way, whether you are struggling with a particular sin now, if if you're not doing it now, you're going to find one later because this is the process by which we go through life. As we, as we go through trying to become more like Christ, there's going to be areas in our life that we're well aware of that need to be brought more in line with his plan. And then just when we think we've arrived, God points out another area that needs to be changed as well. And as we think about it, what, what are the steps that sometimes cause us to go downward in our and our walk with God rather than spiraling upward. And we're going to see that this morning. Before I do, though, I thought I'd share a couple things in terms by way of analogy. As you think about the sports world, sports world sometimes gives us many lessons in life, and we're going to talk about a definition of sin in a moment. But um, golf, a number of our people really like the game of golf, so I, I thought I'd give a couple definitions of golf. What is golf? It's a game that consists of a lot of walking, broken up by disappointment and bad arithmetic. What is golf? A golf is a game of opposites. The world's slowest people are ahead of you and the fastest are behind. What is golf? It's a colorful sport that gets you on the green and financially in the red. And then two more. Uh, What is a golfer? A golfer is a person who yells for, takes six, and puts down five. And then, uh, who's a golfer? A golfer is a guy who has the advantage over a fisherman. He doesn't have to bring home anything when he brags he had a great day. <laughs> you don't have to have any evidence of a good golf game, only a, a colorful way of writing down the numbers on your scorecard. Well, what is sin? Well, probably the most familiar verse in the Bible about sin is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, we have a golfer, a person in our church who loves to play golf. His name will remain anonymous, but his initials are John Aldridge. And every time, uh, every time he golfs, he says, I'm going to go out and sin a little bit. And you go, what do you mean by that? Well, he's going he's to say, you know, when you get on a green, the goal, the goal is to put that little white ball in that little white cup. And for some of us, that little white cup gets smaller and smaller and smaller when we're trying to put that little white ball in it. And, and John has a phrase that when he's, when he's on the green and he's trying to put the, the ball on the cup, every time he falls short, he calls it a sin. And, and when you think about it, that's a good word picture of sin. It, it's falling short. And whenever we fall short, particularly on the golf course, there's no chance for the ball to go in. And sometimes we never give our, ourselves a chance to be in line with God's plan because we're always falling short. We're settling for less. 
And that's what sin is. Sin is, sin is not just that which is morally wrong, but it's also that which is personally and socially destructive. God gave us a plan in his word, not just because he was arbitrary. I think I'll call that a sin and that over there not a sin. He, he knew what was good for us and what was bad for us. And sin is that which is bad for us when we fall short of his ideal plan for our life. Well, this morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to see kind of the steps to that first sin. And, and they're the same steps we all take when we get deceived by sin. When we somehow think, well, you know, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's better this time to go down that path rather than God's path. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 3, or this morning you can actually just look in your outline. I think I put all the passages there. Uh, but let's look at Genesis 3 and, and the steps to sin. If you really want to sin better, just do all these things. Number one, how do we mess up? Step one, we question the clarity of God. And it's really the idea of, has God really, really, really said that? Well, Genesis 3, 1 says this, now, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, last Lord's Day, we talked a little bit about the evil one, Lucifer, uh, Satan. And anytime you look at a passage, you can kind of look at it not only expositionally and exegetically, but you could look at it doctrinally. And we could spend the whole series on, let's talk about Satan. But at this particular point, what we have here is we have the perfect angelic beings, and all angels were perfect and good at the, at the point of their creation. And one of them, and he, then he tempted a third of the rest of them to follow path, decided that they thought they knew more and better than God did, and they rebelled against God, and they fell into sin. What we have here in the short, shortened version of the story is that that evil one, the leader of that, Lucifer, Satan, our adversary, uh, took on the form of a, a snake or a serpent, and he began to entice man into that which we would call sin or evil. And there's a whole way of approaching that, understanding why God allowed that. We touched on that a little bit last week. But now we're at that point in which he does it. And, and what he does is he, he draws the, the family and divides it and is speaking to one of them at a time. And particularly he speaks at the woman and to the woman. And he begins to entice her into doing that which is sinful or falling short of God's plan for her life and then later on for Adam's life as well. And, and what he initially does is he sows the seed of doubt about whether God mumbles or not. Have you ever talked to someone and, they, and, they, and they're speaking and you're not getting every word they say? I was, I was on an airplane. I'm going to tell you some airplane stories today. But he was speaking about he, uh, uh, this man named Bob I was sitting next to. And he said he was in Mississippi and he was giving a lecture. He was giving some training. And some of the Mississippians were speaking to him in a rather strong drawl or accent or whatever it might be. He said, I, could, I couldn't even figure out what they were saying. Here they were Americans, and they were, they were talking like a language beyond me, okay? And, and sometimes when we think about God, we think, well, maybe, maybe God mumbles. Maybe God slurs. Maybe God doesn't say everything distinctly so we understand exactly what he's saying. And, and that's what the serpent does. He said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He, he, he begins to question uh, God's clearness in communicating his plan. Now, at this point, which is interesting in the revelation of God to us, this is the very first time that we have a question recorded in the Bible. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. This is the very first question, and it's given by the evil one. Has indeed God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
Now let me throw out a very simple thing to deal with people or even within your own self when you begin to question. Now we're talking particularly about questioning God. When people question God, question their question. See, right at this point, Eve, and we could spend some rabbit-chasing trails to figure out, was was she surprised when the serpent or snake began to talk to her? I mean, how many of the animals actually talk? But at this point, instead of focusing her attention on what the serpent had said, she begins to focus on what he had raised up, which is, what has God really said? When people question God, you don't have to necessarily initially give an answer, just question their question. So often we have a, a tendency to doubt what we believe rather than doubt our doubts. And what she should have done is question the one who was questioning God. I was, um, some of you know that Alice and I uh, kind of whirlwind tour. We left on Thursday, came back late Saturday night. Uh, Matt was running in a track championship in Indiana, running the marathon for the very first time and competing nationally. And so we flew out and flew back and we got up for the race because it was an early morning race at four o'clock in the morning, Indiana time. And then by the time we got back to uh, John Wayne Airport, it was two o'clock in um, Indiana time. So we were up like 22 hours, 20, 22 out of 24 hours. Uh, and so if I look a little spacey this morning, it's because I am a little spacey. But, but when we were on the way back, there was a, there was a man sitting next to me named Bob, and, and we got into a conversation, find out what he did for a living, and then he asked me what I did for a living, and he goes, I don't talk about it. <laughs> I said, uh, so my first thing was to ask him a question, well, why not? And he says, because I'm an agnostic. And so I asked him another question, well, why are you an agnostic? See, so often that, you know, when people talk about spiritual things, we, we don't know what to say. Well, if you don't know what to say, simply ask a question. And a person who didn't want to talk about because he already settled in his heart and mind, began to talk about it. And he talked about how he was raised up as a, in a parochial school and different things he'd gone through and some of the issues he was wrestling with and things like that. And so I had an opportunity to kind of share my testimony a little bit. But one of the things I said to him, that everyone begins as an agnostic. I don't care if you're raised as a child like I was in the, in the Christian church. There comes a point where you have to say, do I really believe what I've been, being told, what I've been told? Is this just wishful thinking? Is this really true? And so when you come to faith, you come to the point of saying, I believe this is actually a, a, an historical, actual event that happened 2,000 years ago that God became man and he went to the cross and he died on that cross for my sins and rose again. And there's reasons why I believe that. But at this point, what, what happened to Eve is she began to, to believe the possibility that when God speaks, he doesn't speak clearly that he speaks in a dialect where we might, not, we might not pick up everything he has to say. One of the quotes that I'll never forget, I've said it many times probably here as well, is that you know, Mark Twain said, it's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that bothers me, it's the things in the Bible that I do understand. Or to rephrase it for, the, for today, it's not the things in the Bible that I think are not very clear that bothers me, it's the things in the Bible that are clear that bothers me. And, and God had been very plain to them about whether they ought to eat of the forbidden fruit. And all of a sudden, that first question came up, are you really sure he said that? Well, maybe, maybe he didn't. Or, or, I know, well, or maybe he said it this way. Or, and we're going to see the, the train of thought that went through Eve to the point where she was enticed to do evil. Number one, how do we mess up? We first of all question the clarity of God. Has God said this clearly? 
Secondly, we question the words of God. So she responds back to the servant. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of, all, of the trees. Excuse me. And the woman said to the servant, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And basically what happens here, in fact, I almost put it as a fill-in-the-blank part of it. What Eve does is she begins to question the words of God. She questions the words of God by beginning to add to it or to subtract from it. And when we do that, all of a sudden we start messing with God's clear message to us and clear direction to us. Now, initially it looks a little bit um, superficial, the words... Um, she adds, or the word she adds, and the word she subtracts. But I think there's something more beyond the superficial here. In Genesis chapter 2, this was the announcement of the forbidden, the one forbidden commandment that God gave Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. What Eve replied back to the serpent was this, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. She left out the word every or all. Now, why is that significant? What's significant then is that she began to, to not be focused on all the positive things that God had provided for her. We, we can sometimes question God's provision for us when we forget to see all that He's done for us. Particularly in this service, we have a very familiar hymn of the faith, Count Your Blessings, Name Them... Well, if, if all of a sudden you start counting your blessings and you only come out with two or three, you're, you're not going to have a whole lot of, of motivation to trust in the, the sufficiency of God when you only have two or three blessings. But all of a sudden you start listing all the things God has done for you. You're almost overwhelmed by His provision. And all she did was, we can eat of the trees of the, of the, of the garden. No, you can eat of every tree of the garden they they were all over the place she began to minimize the provision of god by just leaving out one little word or at least it's quite possible she did and and then what she did she she left out not she didn't leave out a word she i mean she didn't subtract a word or leave out a word she added a word remember that that last part of genesis 3 3 you shall not eat of it nor shall you touch it Bless you, die. Now, did, did God say that? Did God say you would disobey me if somehow you brushed up against it and touched it? That, you know, you, know, you fell into it and you touched it? See, you, you can accidentally touch something, but it's pretty hard to accidentally eat something. Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I've touched a lot of things. Oh, you know, I've touched wet paint. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Or I, that who was I talking to myself? But, you know, there are a lot of things I've touched that I wish I hadn't touched. I kind of just did it by accident. But I dare say there has been not one single time in my life I've ever eaten anything by accident. And so when she did that, she began to, to emphasize the negative. She diminished that which was positive, and she emphasized that which was negative. And when we do that, we begin to seed, uh, sow the seed of distrust of God. We question His clarity... Has, has God really said that? Did I misunderstand it? Maybe, maybe I was you know, distracted and he said something else. Or maybe it's translated wrong. 
Or, or maybe it's a matter of interpretation. You know, we have all those things of trying to change what God has said clearly. That's, that's questioning the clarity of God. And then the other part, we question the words of God. We begin to overemphasize what shouldn't be emphasized, and we underemphasize that what should be emphasized. We ought to emphasize the goodness of God and diminish the restrictions of God. Because God was singularly testing their faith by simply, do not eat of this, not touching it. It's not something accidentally you'll fall into. You'll have to make a willful decision to do it. So what are the steps to sin? Question the clarity of God. Question the words of God. God said what he meant, and he meant what he said. The idea of not questioning the words of God. And, and I have to throw in one for free every Sunday morning. This is for free. When you memorize Scripture, you ought to make it your goal to memorize it word for what? Word. Now, I understand that there are many translations, and they can be different in whatever translation you're memorizing out of. But whatever mem- translation you're memorizing, don't, don't roll that ball up short. Memorize it word for word. Because you want to not add or subtract. You want to have as clear as possible uh, on that. And it's just a good practice and habit to get into. Step number three, falling into sin. We question the truthfulness of God. And we really are asking the question, is this, some, is this really going to happen? Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, Genesis 3, 4. Now we have, again, Satan, Lucifer, in the form of a serpent, speaking back to Eve and really posing again another doubt in her mind and it's the, the doubt of consequences. Is God really telling the truth? Is he just, maybe he's just threatening you. Maybe he's just trying to intimidate you, but he, he wouldn't kill you by eating a fruit. Not only when God says it, does he mean it? Does he mean it? When God says it, that settles it. When we uh, look at some of the main doctrines of the faith, you know, one of the doctrines of the faith is, is heaven and hell. Now, it used to be that every preacher was known as being a fire and brimstone preacher. Now, it doesn't, the issue is not whether how many times we talk about hell. The issue is how much do we believe about hell. Now, I think we could all say in many ways that none of us appreciate the doctrine of hell. I mean, we wish it wasn't there, but the reality is God has said it, and what God says is true. There are consequences for sin. And there's going to be a consequence for people rejecting the message of Jesus Christ. You know, God will do what he has said he will do. And that is, again, a seed that we do not want to be sown in our heart that, that God is not truthful. He will not fall through with what he has said. And that happens at the, at the biggest arena, which is eternity, eternity whether we're in that place God has prepared for those who know him and love him, or will we go to that place of judgment. But it's true in every part of life. There are consequences on a temporal level, not as well as an eternal level, when we sin. Because sin is not simply that which is morally wrong, it's that which is personally destructive or socially destructive. As we were coming back last night, there was a, there was a couple with a, uh, a six-year-old little girl, and she was so excited about being on, the pl- on a plane for the very first time. You could, she was just like, she was amped up on sugar or whatever it was. She was just totally excited. And, and, and one of the reasons was she was going to come to 
uh, Orange County, and she was going to go to a place. What is that place kids like to go to? Okay, she was going to go. She was going to go to Disneyland for the very first time. In fact, she was saying, "We're going to go to Disneyland tonight, right?" And I said, "No, no, no. We're, we're going to go there on Tuesday. We're going to get there. We have to do some things before." No, 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 I want to come tonight. I want to go there tonight. He said, no, 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 we can't go there till Tuesday. And so they finally got her to kind of agree to that after a little bit of discussion. And I'm thinking, oh, they're going to go on the same plane we are. I'm hoping she doesn't sit right next to us, all right? <laughs> well, we were in aisle 27. God has a sense of humor. She was in aisle 28, okay? Well, I was sitting next to Bob. This is the same uh, flight with Bob, and, and we were talking, and he... Uh, and we got to talk. He said, well, she's really excited. She's got a lot of energy. He goes, yes, and I hope the plane ride puts her to sleep, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, about halfway through the plane ride after Bob and I had, had a talk and, and hoping to see Bob, he lives in Orange County, and, and so a person didn't want to talk. We kind of struck up a little bit of a, at least a quick friendship and hope to see him throughout the maybe times roaming around in Orange County. But, but he, had, he had brought with him those uh, headphones that, Take away all the noise out. There's a special name for that. Whatever. They're those big headphones, okay, that you put on, you can't hear a thing. So once she started amping up a little bit, she was pretty good the first two hours, and the last half hour, she was, she was ready to get off that plane, okay? She was ready to get off that plane, and so she, she tried every which way to, to persuade her, her, her father. She was kind of a daddy's girl uh, until her daddy didn't give her everything she wanted, okay? And then she wanted mommy, which she, she proceeded to say at least 25 times. I want my mommy. You, you have to stay in your, you know, your seat. I want my mommy. I want my mommy. I want my mommy. And every time she said it, got a little louder and a little louder and a little louder. And, and there were very similar conversations throughout the, uh, the last 20 minutes. And, and not only what she said, but the volume by which she said it. In fact, since she wasn't getting a whole lot of movement on her dad, she began to scream. All right. Now, it was obvious to me that this daddy had a loving relationship with the child, but this child knew there were going to be no consequences for her actions. Absolutely none. In fact, there was one time she stopped her daddy and said, now, daddy, daddy, you need to understand, when I say something, you're, you're supposed to say yes. <laughs> now... Is it quite possible that her behavior was encouraged to be that way because she didn't think there were any consequences for her actions? We need to recognize when somehow we think there are no consequences for our actions, that that doesn't lead us to more sin, then we're fooling ourselves. And the Bible speaks in so many different ways about that what we reap, what we sow, we will reap. And there, there will be result experience for us breaking the commandments of God. So as we think about being led down the steps towards sin, it begins with questioning the clarity of God, questioning the words of God, and then thirdly, questioning the truthfulness of God. Fourthly, step number four we can take is we can question the goodness of God. And, and this is when we begin to think that if he restricts our freedom, he will reduce our joy. And we put a person, God, you are restricting my freedom, and you are reducing my joy. The, the serpent goes on and speaks to Eve and says, For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Which is, what is he saying to, to Eve particularly at this point? 
You are missing out. Your eyes are closed to all that you could be seeing that God has restricted for you to be able to see and experience. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It's interesting as we think about this, there's so many different trails we could look and examine this passage on. You know, some have wondered, well, you know, one of the reasons Eve fell into sin, and this, is, this I think contributed to it, is that she was not aware of her enemy. She had no prior revelation that there was an angelic being that had fallen from the heavenly realm. And, and I believe because of that, she was given a little bit of a pass in terms of being responsible for that sin because we find out later that her sin was a sin of deception. Now, she did have enough ammo, but she just didn't really realize that these were the bullets she needed to put in her spiritual gun. She didn't have to know a whole lot about evil as long as she knew, needed to know a whole lot about God. If she had rested in the faithfulness of God, the clarity of God, the words of God, she would not have fallen into that. But she got deceived. I mean, who wouldn't want to live through life with your eyes open rather than closed? I mean, that just makes sense. Who wouldn't like to increase your knowledge? That makes sense. And, and then you look at the enticement of what he, what he was offering to her that God had singularly uh, had commanded not to participate in. Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now, what, what does sin do to us to attract us to participate in it? Well, here's a pretty good summary statement. In fact, be sure to go through the Bible study this, this next week because it kind of amplifies this. But what, what sin does, and, and the reason we participate in sin, because it, it looks good for us to participate in. There's something enticing about it. The Bible says in Hebrews that there's a, there's a passing pleasure of participating in sin, that which falls short of God, which is not only morally wrong, but is destructive. And one way, or look at three ways real quickly. Number one, we want what appeals to us physically. And isn't that true? We want that which will make us feel good. I really want that. It's just, it's just I want it. It'll make me feel better physically. Isn't it interesting now we have, we have adjectives to describe food? I thought food was just food. But now they'll talk about comfort food. I remember when I was growing up, I don't remember them calling it comfort food, but now they call it comfort food. And so I guess when you're uncomfortable, you eat this comfort, comfort food, and now you're more comfortable. Uh, basically, it's those food that you, you just, it just, I mean, it just, when you eat it, it makes you, you know, chocolate. I mean, who doesn't like chocolate? It makes you feel better. Who doesn't like Cinnabons, you know? I mean, it makes you feel better. That's fair in the first service. You know, when you go on these airports... They don't, they don't sell you any healthy food. It's all bad food there, you know. And the Cinnabons, I think they, as soon as you get off the plane, you begin to smell that cinnamon and icing and whatever it might be. And, and, and you can't, man, it can't be that bad. I'm just going to eat one or two or three, you know. It, but it makes you feel good physically. There are things in this life that feel good physically that are not good for you. The Bible says your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so it's a choice. And right before that, he gave the application that flee immorality because that will be destructive in your life. Secondly, we want what appeals to us visually. It will make us look good. And most things that we buy, whether we can afford it or not, is, is motivated by, man, that, that looks good. That, that looks good. You know, some people will buy expensive cars because it makes them look good. It's not only clothing, it's, 
his cars, his houses, whatever it might be. It's, it's that which will make us feel better. And that kind of tie in here, so, well, how could that be with that fruit? Well, that fruit might have had some amazing colors in it. Man, I, this would be great to put on our kitchen table. You know, we could eat this fruit. It, it, it somehow appealed to her visually. And then he talked about not only is it pleasant to the eyes, it was good for food, and a tree desirable to make one wise. We want what appeals to us intellectually. It will make us think we are good. There are, uh, even, you know, as we relate with people, sometimes, you know, in the military, they'll talk about, you know, I've I've talked to people who've heard this from their superior officers many times, when when they want more information and the response back is, well, I'm sorry, it's a need to know and you don't need to know it. And and when you're in that kind of setting, it's kind of humbling, but there are certain things in life we don't need to know. Not only what you don't know will hurt you, but sometimes the things you do know can hurt you. We need to be naive about certain evil things. We don't have to participate in to, to really know that's not good for us. But there's an enticing part of that because if you're in the know and someone else is not in the know, you feel a little superior to them. Well, I, I know, I know you don't know, but I, I know. Well, that doesn't make you superior. It just means you know something. And, and so we need to understand that that there are all kinds of things in life that will entice us. And they usually appeal to us physically, visually, and intellectually. They make us feel good, make us look good, make us think that we're good. Four steps of fall into sin. One, one is to question God's clarity. Has God somehow mumbled when he talked? Do we really have the, the correct, clear teachings of God's word in his word? Uh, secondly, we need to realize that questioning the words of God, somehow diminishing what he has said or adding to what he said. And, and there's, a, there's a pretty some very strong words in the book of Revelation about that, where the curse of God comes upon those who do so. Thirdly, we, we question the truthfulness of God. Well, will God really follow through what he has said? And we've all been experiencing where people have, have tried to threaten us, and we know their threats were very idle. They weren't going to do what they said. Fourthly, we question the goodness of God. There's really... this. Does God really want my eyes to be closed? Doesn't he want me to know as much as he knows? Experience what he experiences? And then step five, all these are related. We question the authority of God. Does God have the right to tell us what to do? And really that's the heart of of sin is when we want to be like Lucifer was to God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be as God. He wanted to be on the same platform as God. And one thing we should all know about God is uh, what we know about God is that we're not God. And we are not to be God. We are to be under His authority, under His rule, under His leadership. But she went down that path. She took of the fruit, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What we have here is, is... is a very straightforward description of what happened. First of all, Eve was deceived. And we've talked about that just before, just real briefly. In 2 Corinthians eleven three, it says this, But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity or the sufficiency that is in Christ. Basically, what the serpent was able to do to Eve was to get her eyes off God and what he had said, 
and her eyes were now on, on him and what he had said. And, and she had never experienced that, and so she was caught up in that, and so she almost, you could describe it this way, did what she didn't, what she didn't realize at the moment what she was doing because she, she was brought into that experience. But we have the commentary in Scripture that Adam does not have that out. He saw what Eve did. He knew that it was wrong, and he deliberately did it. So Eve was deceived. Adam was deliberate. He knew what he was doing. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. There are going to be times where we, particularly this side of Genesis chapter 3, we will do certain things almost by accident. We will, we will be caught off guard and we will, we will make poor decisions and poor choices that will mess us up. But it was almost unintentional. But what God is most hurt by and disrupted by and, and angered by is when we know better and we still do it. Because when we do that, then we are questioning his clarity, his words, his truthfulness, his goodness, and his authority. This is a Memorial Day weekend. And in the military, that is the first thing they want to teach all the troops, all the men and women, is that when an order is given, you what? You obey. And that's the attitude that we need to have toward God. And in our world, every human authority isn't always good, isn't always truthful, isn't always right and wise, but God is always truthful, right, good, and wise. And we are just being wise when we obey Him. The question I want to leave you very simply this morning is, where do you need to retrace your steps? Where are some of these attitude toward God and his character or his revelation, his plan for your life or my life starting to, to erode, where we, we question his clarity, we question his words, we question his truthfulness, we, we question his goodness, and we question his authority, his right to tell us what to do. Let's pray. Well, I pray for each of us as we go through the journey of life, we, we need to recognize that we, we are the choices that we make. And, and the real truth of it is, when we go down the wrong path, we can really only blame, <laughs> we can only blame ourselves. There might be some contributing factors. We might be the victim of someone else's abuse or pain or decisions, but but when we begin to distrust you, we can really only blame ourselves. But Father, as, as we think about it, that the question that we need to, first of all, answer is, where are we in relationship to you? Maybe, again, we're on the outside looking in, and we've never made that, that personal step of knowing you in a personal way. Father, if that's where someone is here this morning, I invite them just to, just to follow the spiritual ABCs, of, first of all, admitting their need and, and turning from that which is sin, 
or falling short of your standard for their life. Secondly, to, to believe, believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for their sins and rose again. And then to make that commitment, a commitment to follow Jesus, their Lord, God, and Savior. And Father, they can do that right where they sit this morning by praying that the prayer of God, please come into my life. I believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision, might we in a fresh and new way um, not be deceived by the evil one, by the, by the things that are in this world, our own desires. Help us, help us desire more than anything else to, to be in the middle of your plan because uh, you know what's best. Father, we will fall short, but Father, help us not to want to fall short. Help us to want to be faithful to your plan for our lives, for your glory and for your sake. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, if you'd like to pray with another.